So where did you grow up? You, were you an FFA? That might have been the Texas influence a little bit. I don't. What year did you graduate? Did you know? Um, did you know? I'm trying to remember the last. I only know her by her married name. Her name was Pamela. God, what was her maiden name? Ooh, was it? I don't know. I can't remember. She might. She had a twin sister, Pamela and Angela. Uh, they. I don't know if they went to South. They might have gone just regular Garland. Let me see here. Just. Just a minute. Um, I'm looking just to give me. That's bothering. Myers? Myers, M-Y-E-R-S, but it may not be, that may not be her maiden name. I'm not sure that was her maiden name. See, I'm not, I only know her really by her... Uh, They would have been a little bit younger than you. Keith. No, her maiden name was Keith. Pamela Keith, Angela Keith. Yeah. I know her. I know Pamela. I don't know Angela. I know Pamela. We got all this. All right. Let's get going here. Um, we're still on trauma. And... Um, one of the things we take this so seriously is with all the research we're now developing, there's actually a story of, um, and this is just one example, uh, years and years and years ago, there was a doctor, uh, at, um, at a weight loss clinic. You know, and back when weight loss clinics were, were not as common as they are today. Uh, this is about the beginning of this thing. And and we're not just talking about a little bit of overweight people. We're talking morbidly obese people. This was a place that they were they were trying to come up with a way for help people lose weight. And they came up with this interesting concept of let's just make them not eat. 
<laughs> well, okay, that's that's not the point of it. <laughs> it, is, it. And it worked. They lost lots of weight. Now they got their nutritional supplements and like vitamin C, you know, all the things that you need to vitamin D that you need to survive. Uh, but they, because they had studied people who had been in, uh, war and things like that about losing weight. So try to have a healthy weight to starve somebody <laughs> and it worked. People lost 150, 200, 300. Some people lost as much as 400. We're t- now we're talking about super, super, uh, uh, morbidly obese people. And the doctor was like, well, wow, this is amazing. This is work. We've just, this is going to change the world. But then a year or two later, as they check back with these folks, remember this is research, you check back with them, many of them had gained the weight back. And you kind of go, what in the world uh, was going on with this? Because you know, you think, hey, I lost 300 pounds, I'm gonna work, you know, I like the way I look, I like the way I feel. I mean, anybody ever lost a lot of weight and you kind of go, man, you can tell the difference, you know, and you go, you feel energy, you feel, wow. And so you get really excited. So he, he, he started, you know, interviewing them to say, what happened? And they go, I don't know. But then he started noticing a common theme in all these people. What was it? Trauma. Trauma. And, and he, and he actually introduced it as a paper and he was mocked for it that he said, I'm starting to discover that all these people who have a problem with overeating, with food addiction, with becoming morbidly obese, there is a common, now there's an exception to every rule, but for, for commonality, the common denominator for a lot of these people are a history, particularly of sexual abuse, um, but some kind of trauma. Now, this is back then. This was a long time ago. They weren't using the words like we use today. I'm just using modern day words to describe his story. That he's starting to notice. In fact, he, he in, in the book that I'm getting this from, he talked to one woman who had lost like 400 pounds. And she goes, and he goes, and so he started coming up with this question, well, what was it like for you to lose the weight? And there's the reason why that's an important question for us why was it like for you to lose the weight? And she goes, at first it was great. That's air conditioning coming out. <laughs> I'm cold. I, I felt more of a drive with the door open. Is there a way to stop? I, I felt, I just went, whoa. Yeah. And I see poor Gwen right there. It's like little icicles coming off her nose all of a sudden. Uh, uh yeah, it's getting sucked in. Um, but the one thing she said, it was great at first to lose the weight. But then men started paying attention to me. And he goes, but understand, this was couple, this was several decades ago. So that was, a, to us, it make, that's a very, oh, interesting. To back then, it's like, what? Isn't that your purpose of, you know, you're single, you, you want a husband, and... and as he delves into her history, the next number two question, he, and this is important, number two question was, when did you first start having problems with your eating habits? And she said, around 10 years old. 
And then the third question, which is important for what we're going to be discussing later, he goes, well, what major thing happened when you were 10? I'm giving you the Reader's Digest version of this. And she goes, that's when my grandfather started raping me. And as he comes out and gets her talking more, she goes, the weight, when I started getting obese, I didn't want the attention of boys. I did not want the attention of men. And I quickly found out that if I gained weight, they would leave me alone. And now that when I lost the weight at work, I started having men stop at my desk and mess, you know, flirt with me, hit on me. And all these feelings started coming over me again of my grandfather raping me, of boys mistreating me when I was a teenage girl and things like that. So I went to food again and I got fat and now they're leaving me alone. And so this is why trauma is an important thing for us to talk about because the devil uses it. He uses our memories. He uses our experiences and he does it to destroy. So she cuts her, this woman we're talking about, she cuts herself off from relationship. He said the other common denominator, he said many of these morbidly obese people were isolating themselves from other relationships. They might have one family, typically enabler, an enabler that brings them the food. In their, in their relationship, that's the one, but from social contact with people, they limited themselves. They, they would shut themselves away. Remember what we started this all out with? What's the purpose of the devil? He cuts off relationships, first between us and God, then between us and each other. And, and he wants to isolate. He wants you to be that lone elk on the, on the, in the safari with the, let the lion devour the lone oak, uh, elk, oak, elk. Um, and, same thing, oak, elk. <laughs> I'm a city boy, okay? It's the same thing. Uh, and so th those three questions, so he, he actually presented, he got the CDC, I know you've heard that a lot the last year, he got the CDC to fund a even further in-depth research, and they came up with this, oh my goodness, they started, the research started backing this up, that morbidly, this was, and see, one doctor stood up in a conference that he was presenting his paper before the CDC got involved and said, no, 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 no. The basic concept back then was, no, these people are lazy. They're weak-willed. They have no willpower. They're lazy. They don't care. They're sloppy. They're da-da-da. That's the reason why they're morbidly obese. And one, that was a really insensitive way to look at it. And, and but so then you got the CDC, but then they said, you know, they're start all of a sudden all these doctors and all these experts in the field are like, this just has completely changed the way we're looking at this because the research was backing up that every, the majority and not just a small majority, I mean, barely like a 51%, a huge majority, the number I forget, uh, there was some kind of trauma. And then they started discovering there's more than just sexual trauma. Well, what do we do about men who were never raped or anything? Most of them had some traumatic experience in their life, bullying. Uh, they've started to discover the, the impact of emotional abuse. See, these terms are more common to us. Back three decades ago, emotional abuse, they would have laughed you off the stage if you'd said emotional abuse. Oh, you're a, you're a snowflake, as people would say today. 
but as we've talked and I know we've got all wonderful people in here who accept this and understand this emotional abuse many times can be just as damaging if not more damaging than physical abuse you know the emotional abuse uh, the devil knows what he's doing elaborate I don't know what you, you you want to say anything else? Well, I mean, did you make that strong comment? Do you have anything else? Uh, um, it just—it can really actually drive you to. I mean, you could actually make somebody think what you're telling them. Kind of like brainwashing them. You know what we call that? What? Gaslighting. Who? Gaslighting. Who? Gaslighting. We call that gaslighting when you make the other person think they're crazy. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Hey, Matt, you're nuts. You're, you're, you're ugly. Now he's upset. He says, you, say, you called me ugly. You called me ugly. <laughs> no, I didn't. Where would you get that from? You really think I called you ugly? Why would I have called you? No, what are you talking about? I actually had a couple doing that in front of me in a counseling session where the husband called, <laughs> oh my goodness, this, you guys know I'm a counselor, I can handle this stuff, and I think you guys can handle this. He not only called her the B word, he called her the C word in front of me on my couch in my office. Now, this was something that he regularly did in their life, but, and I went, now, you know, I said, no, 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 no. I stopped. He went, what? I go, he goes, I'm allowed to be mad. I go, that's fine. But that's where a boundary, we don't get in the name calling in here and, and think, he goes, what are you talking about? I said, you just called her the B word and the C word. And he goes, what are you talking about? And I go, you're not playing this with me. <laughs> and I said, next time you do that, you're going out. He goes, I said, I'm not even debating. See, the gaslighter wants you to get debated to get you doubting yourself. I said, we're moving on. I know you did it. You know I know you did it, and we're moving on. You're just not doing it again. And I turned to his wife, and I started talking to her. And he's, like, freaking out at that moment. Because when you, when you cut a gaslighter off, you drive them nuts. Because <laughs> you're taking their power away from them. Their power is the making you think you're the crazy one. And so I said, I know what you just said. I know that word. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I, I, my shock was like. And I, I don't know if you've ever been like so grateful that your health is deteriorating and you just like can't function hardly. Is it that breaking depression? Well, depression brings physical ailments. Yeah. And then, but anyway, that's. Folks, let me tell you something. The devil. No, no, you're no, but no, you you went where I wanted you to go. The devil knows what he's doing. He no, depression just doesn't put you in a sad mood. It affects every aspect of your life. It is meant to destroy your life. The devil comes out to destroy you. And when you're and when your life feels self-destroyed, it affects your relationships with your family, with your friends, but it affects you, your relationship with God. You know, the devil's evil, but the devil's good at what he does. He's an expert. And he, he knows you're weak. You ever have a friend that just knows your button? 
you know, the friend, you know, that knows how to, like your sibling might know. I know how to get my sibling. I know what to do. I know that button to push to get my sibling all. My brother knew it on me. I knew what I had to push his butt. But there are people who also do it for not so jokey reasons. You know, brothers, you know, it's for brother stuff, you know, but there are people who do it for a lot less honorable ways. They do it to really bring, that's the devil. The devil does not attack me in areas that I have no problems with. That's a waste of time. It's kind of like temptation. You could put drugs and alcohol in front of me. You could put, you could say, look at all these you know, thousands of dollars worth of drugs in front of me and leave the room for like three hours and leave me alone for three hours and you come back, every one of them still there. The devil's not going to tempt me like that. He's going he's to tempt me in other ways that is going to bring me down. He's, he's strategic in what he does. So he knows, so these, you know, these folks here in this report, you know, he was finding out the sexual trauma, the emotional trauma, the emotional abuse, which we're going back into this, which is, and like I said, I've had, I've had women say, I just wish he'd hit me. I'd rather be hit than what he does to my mind, you know, cause it's just, and, and, and it is, well, the woman that I just told you, the couple I just told you about where he called, she was one of the ones that said that she said, I'd rather him hit me. Cause I mean, it's embarrassing in the middle of Sam's to be called to be. And he purposely does it where everyone hears me. Yeah, you're stupid. He says, you're just, why are you so brainless? And this is a woman. Yes, that's where, because you you ever heard the thing, you call it, you you call a boy a dog long enough, he begins to act like a dog. You never hear that, you know, or you treat someone like a dog long enough, they begin to feel like a dog. You know, that's the same thing. You know, because, and this is a woman with a master's degree that I'm talking about, this this wife. And he'd be in the middle of Sam's, and she'd ask a question, and he at the top of his lungs, why are you so stupid? She says, I'd rather him just slap me. Well, by the end of the marriage, that's what she, they were, she wouldn't go anywhere with. I mean, that's, you're right. But some are so beaten down, doesn't matter. They, they, they lose. The other reason is you want to lose your, you lose your will. You want the other. The, the evil one, <laughs> the bad person. I, I shouldn't call them evil because they've got their own issues too. I gotta be more compassionate. But the aggressor, one of their goals is to make the other one lose their willpower. Gaslighters. So you see it in politics a lot. It's always someone else's fault. Yeah. yeah, this week was a good example. You notice how everybody wanted to blame something else for the problems with the power and everything? <laughs> That's gaslighting in a way. You know, just, you know, instead of someone saying, you know, there's enough blame to go around to where someone said, I mean, I'm not trying to make. Yeah, or, or, you know, and this, I'm not making a political statement here, but I'm, I'm going to use an example. You know, Abbott kept pointing to renewable stuff, but then 10 years ago was when the deregulation to where we don't winterize our grids happened. He was the attorney general asking for that. <laughs> and he blames, <laughs> so that was gaslighting. Say, oh, it's their fault. 
and then someone said, but you were the attorney general asking to be deregulated so we don't winterize stuff. But it's there. <laughs> That's gaslighting. And it's. Yeah, there's enough blame going around. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people don't want to take blame for the, the, the self-responsibility. Yeah, we should have been more prepared. But when we go back to this of... It's not your fault, Chris. I'll back you up on that. You, you're completely... You're just, you're just a hard-working guy on the line doing the best you can. Uh, but, I mean, trauma is something else. It, it, it begins to affect. Now, why is this important? Let's, let's bring spirituality to this. And my computer's really acting up, so that's why I'm not. It, I got a crack on it, and it won't do stuff, so I got to get my crack fixed. Because, that sounded bad. I got to get my crack fixed because it won't let my mouse go, so I'm not even going to. It's been, like, terrible. So I, 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 what? I got to cover my crack up here, but I, as I'm studying this and, and I'm for this week, I, I, I'm reading an author that I started reading a couple years ago. His name is Thomas Halleck, and he lived in Czechoslovakia during the communist rule there, and he became a priest in the underground church, in the Catholic underground church there, and he was a psychotherapist. So, I mean, I kind of... I, I kind of congeal with the guy because he, he, he was he was a counselor and ordained. and But I kind of give him a little bit more props because he was in an underground church. If it got found out, he would have gone to prison. <laughs> and so uh, he, he wrote an interesting book called Patience with God. And it's really the way he talks about it. He said, listen to this. The difference between an atheist and a Christian is patience with God. I want everybody to let that sink in a little bit. Have you ever had a question that you had for God that you never got the answer to? person with no patience becomes an atheist immediately. Oh, I don't understand this, therefore I'm, there must be no God. I'm an atheist. A person who's on a spiritual journey goes, I can wait for the answer. And you see the difference between Christian and atheist is patience. Where, the, where the, the spiritual seeker goes, I don't have my answer yet, but I'm going to trust and have faith in God that on this journey, he's going to direct me. Whereas the atheist goes, no, God, doesn't even give a chance to work it out. Job had patience with God. You know, <laughs> I lost my family, lost my business. I got boils all over me. And all right, I'll wait and see. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's patience with God. And it's one of these things. Then he wrote another book called The Night of the Confessor. We're talking about faith in an uncertain world, which was really good for this topic. I'm still reading it and rereading it. I've read it before. And he talks about the verse in Matthew chapter 19. It says, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And why am I bringing this in with trauma? Is because once again, with trauma... And when we're talking about the subject of, you know, connecting with our childhood, our, I want to say connecting with our trauma, the importance of it, to put it in a little drawer and shut it and lock it away and pretend like it never happened is one of the worst things that we do. Because Satan's going to make sure something's going to poke you 
with it. You know, the girl who was raped by her grandfather at 10 years old is going to be hit on by men at work. That makes it come back up. You think Satan's just going to, oh, she put it in the drawer. I'll leave her alone. Satan don't play like that. So what's better is to deal with it as thank God we are starting to come as a church to the point of having people actually deal with it. Now, the author of that book, I told you about that story. He said he came with the program, how we deal with, you know, there's a trauma test out there. It's called the ACE. It's how we write trauma in people. But he, he came up with the three questions that you ask someone. Uh, he says, how did you feel when you had this change that brought about all these emotions again? When did the trauma happen? And how does it affect your thought process? You ask those questions. But in doing so, we those of us who are Christians, we add more because we, we say, well, how do I deal with a rape? How do I deal with the loss of a child? How do I deal with a cancer thing? How do I deal with an abusive spouse? How do I f deal with fill in the blank for whatever that person's trauma is? Go ahead. Well, he came up, the, the guy who did this study with these morbidly obese people, he came up with the thing of getting them to talk about it, <laughs> which great for a counselor. That's my job. <laughs> no, but no, seriously, because for years they had not talked about it. And instead, eating became their therapy. And instead, so you got to replace a bad therapy with a good therapy. And a lot of times it is just about, I had a client yesterday ask me because he said, man, I had a friend ask me about a situation and that he's going through. And I don't know. I didn't know how to answer him. So I just told him I was there to listen. And I went, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. You know, cause we get in trouble when we think we have to have an answer and we come up with, I got to come up with the answer. So you tell the child who lost the parent, lost their mom said, well, God needed your mom in the heavenly choir. <laughs> and the kid goes well now i hate god because yeah. the kid's going i just want god i just want my mom yeah. you know that the kids are the kids don't have a four-year theological degree from a you know seminary you know they said i just don't i had my mom i don't have my mom and you're telling me god needed my mom more well then he must not be god then because what does god need you know, I just, you notice how we mess things up when we think we have to have an answer. But instead, and what with these in dealing with trauma, boy, I'm, this is going to go into next week too. He, Thomas Halleck talks about faith. He said we always associate faith with the, the super miraculous, which I agree. I'm Pentecostal. I agree in the super miraculous, but that's not what Christ is talking about here. When he said this, he was talking about the rich young ruler. Remember that story? He said, the rich young ruler comes to him and says, what do I need to do? Hey, I've, I've done everything. What else do I need to do? He goes, well, do you keep the Ten Commandments? He goes, yeah, keep the Ten Commandments. He goes, sell everything. Because Christ knew. <laughs> he knows. He says, oh, do you, 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 you respect your parents? Yeah. Do you go to do you keep Sabbath? Yeah. Do you not lie? Yeah. Do you not murder? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you do have all 10. Let me think. Let me think. He knew the whole time. I, I like dramatizing what Jesus does. And he was like, okay, there's got to be something. Let me, oh, I got it. And he knew he was wealthy and he knew his wealth meant a lot to him. He said, sell everything you got, give it to the poor and then come follow me. 
And then the eyes got big on the rich young ruler. And he walked away, what, sad? Because his wealth meant a lot to him. And that, and, and, and then that's when Jesus said, it's easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. He wasn't condemning rich people and not going to heaven or anything like that. But he said is when materialism takes over. Now, he goes, but these things are impossible with men, but, not in, but, but possible with, that's faith. When you have to forgive, give me, give me a little attitude here. The greater miracle is not the blind man being made to see. The greater miracle that needs the greater faith is forgiving someone that did something against you and you need to forgive them. That takes even greater faith. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for someone agreeing with, because I mean, it is, because I mean, I'm Pentecostal, okay? All right? And love it, believe in it, seeing those kind of miracles. Great. Not discounting them at all. But we sometimes mess up that faith is really more needed in the daily living of just forgiving that someone that offended you years ago and truly hurt you. And Christ says, I want you to forgive them. I said, but they hurt me. And Christ tells you, with man, this is impossible. But with me, all things are possible. That's what faith is. Go ahead. And it was a great thing for you to accept a blind person's eyes being open as opposed to you forgiving this person. Everyone see where I'm going with it? It takes greater faith to do that. Or if you're materialistic, you know, asking someone whose whole life was about money and gathering it to say, sell it all, give it to the poor and follow me. <laughs> Can't you make a cripple walk instead, God? <laughs> you know? Yeah, let's do that. That's the great it's, it, it's a defla It's a gaslighting. Because it goes... Because the rich young ruler wanted to focus on the Ten Commandments. He had those great. And he knew it. Jesus knew it. Well, years ago, I was an associate pastor. I was at staff at a church one time many years ago, and the, and, the, and the pastor at the time, this was a very big church, and so I wasn't really close to this pastor. That was where I was a staff member. And he preached a month-long series on why homosexuality is a sin. I agree. Bible. But our church really didn't need a month-long series on that. It was not an issue in our church. Everybody agreed. It was a tickling ears thing. Everybody, it was... Amen. 
loud and hallelujahs and yeah you preach you know it was and it was well received man people ordered that sermon you know they bought that you know when we did cassette tapes you know people bought it and 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 it, it there was nothing wrong with them he didn't he wasn't wrong in his message it was yeah but then we talked about a sermon on gossip i preached that message <laughs> We got more complaints about that message. It great, didn't take great faith for them to accept the message that homosexuality was a sin. That was tickling their ears. It takes greater faith, faith to say, yeah, we're gossips. We need to stop. You know, it's, it's so how do we put this... <laughs> well, that's I got a teaching series on Pharisees being a Pharisee. The definition of being a Pharisee is you're a Pharisee when you don't like people because they sin differently than you. Have your for for the splinter in their eye, you gotta take the plank out of yours. So, what does it have to do with trauma? You've got this huge thing of trauma sitting before you, and you're going, "Holy cow!" for lack of a better term, <laughs> you know, rape, loss of a child, loss of a spouse, abuse of a spouse. And it's, and we do not diminish it. Thank God. We are now getting to the point in the church where we're a lot more pastor. We have a pastor who takes it seriously. He's I've worked for a pastor who went, people just need to get over that stuff. You know, uh, we, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, like he's completely like, you know, he, he goes, man, no, serious stuff. You know, this, that's the way the devil gets in. And so he recognizes that we do have to deal with it. And depression and mental illness is a just as much of an illness as a physical illness for people. The Satan doesn't care. He, he'll do it physical. He'll do it mental. He's just going to do it just to destroy people. And so it you've got this huge trauma sitting before you that you're dealing with. It's on you like molasses. And you trying to do it by yourself is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Does it eliminate the trauma from every? And that's what I tell people in counseling. We're not. It's not about dealing, doing away with whatever issue it is. If it happened, it happened. It's a fact of your life. You can't change that fact of your story. You change your perspective of that fact. And you refuse to let that fact enslave you that's what satan wants he wants you to be enslaved by a circumstance it doesn't diminish the importance of it or the seriousness of it or how it affected you or how it hurts you we never deny the hurt that it happened oh it didn't hurt you you remember remember my talking about the fear <laughs> always get people go no i believe in fear i believe in fear don't you tell me you don't believe in fear. <laughs> I just, I just put me on a scaffold. I'll be scared. <laughs> you know, you know, put a snake in front of you. You know, we fear. Can, when Christ said, don't fear, he's not talking about, uh, don't be scared of that snake. Don't be scared of the plane coming down and crashing on you. What he's saying is, hey, folks, don't let fear take over your life. Where there's, there's difference between being scared of an event as opposed to being having a fearful spirit of we're scared of everything. That's what he was talking about. 
the fear of the unknown, the fear of the future, the fear of just you know, where it controls your life. I'm going to be scared of heights. Well, some of that is also instinct to keep us alive. So our fears, how many times have our fears saved our life? <laughs> Don't live in fear. And I think he was talking about a spirit of fear. He was talking about a spirit of fear, not of, if I make faith mad at me, I won't be scared. <laughs> now, she gets over her anger, and then, okay, we're done. We're fine. But I'm like, oh, my goodness, faith's going to be mad about that. <laughs> There's a little healthy fear there, you know. And we, we teach fear to our kids that you want to fear making mom and dad mad at you. So we teach fear. You know, I told you about the woman said, if one more Christian sister comes up, tell me and quit having fear because my son has cancer and is dying. I'm going to slap her. <laughs> I said, why don't you volunteer your child for cancer? And then you show me how not to have fear. You know, it's easy to tell someone else not to have fear when they're not dealing with it. But all things with God are possible. That's, that's the purpose of this when we bring this into the, the world of trauma and connecting with. Because some people, when I say you've got to connect with your trauma, people go, but I don't want to connect with my trauma because it's, it, it's yucky, it's terrible, it hurts. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. He, he is not like go over there and deal with it over here and get back with me when you've conquered it. Christ walks with you through that moment i mean and this is some moment i don't over but it said like jesus is with you through the trauma even and then now that brings up a question well why did he stop it don't know that's where patience with god comes in importance but we live in an evil evil sin-soaked world where bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people <laughs> All good yeah if if we live by the fact of everything's got to work out you know if everything you know your faith prevents the bad things boy we're gonna remember what i just said bad things happen to good people good things happen to bad people it stinks hitler had a lot of years of success in germany and he was an evil bad person now we believe that your your time of judgment comes and that's what matters that's the thing but there is a season david asked the question of god in one of his psalms why do i see the righteous suffer while i see the unrighteous prosper and god says the end of the story is not written folks it's a season and our faith helps us through that. That's the greater miracle. That is the miracle of going, I have this traumatic event in my life and it hurts. And God says, give it to me. The burden of, you know, lay your burdens upon me. And the burden I'll give you, you can handle. I can handle the heavy I give, and I help you through this. That's the great, that's the faith he's talking about in that pastor. He's not talking about opening up the blind's eyes and knocking that wall down. If, you know, you know, when he, when he says the mustard, the faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain, you know, people, well, I want to try to move the mountain. That doesn't fit God's purpose. The mustard seed needing is forgiving someone that hurts you. And I'm glad you brought that as an example, because I have people come to me who have 
easier time dealing with a cancer diagnosis than dealing with having to forgive someone that hurt them. It, it is huge. Well, and that's why he said, you know, and you know, even when he tells Peter, that was he, when, when Peter, I know we're going, but this is all right. Uh, when Peter comes, how many times am I supposed to forgive somebody? 70 times seven. And there, there's a Jewish reason why he uses those numbers and I, we don't have time to go through it. We don't understand it, but when he told it to Peter and the disciples, it made sense to them. It goes, well, 70 times seven. There, there's a reason behind it because it, it, the number seven, it means an unending thing. Uh, Peter goes, what? And almost Jesus could have said this same verse to him. Well, with man, that's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's the, it takes great. I, 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 I think your example hit really where I was wanting to go home with this because you're right. That is probably the hardest thing as a Christian to do is to forgive someone who legitimately hurt, not legitimately, that, that's, yeah, who, 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 there's no question. They were the wrong and they hurt me and I'm supposed to forgive them? With man, that is impossible. But with God, it is. You know, Corey Tinboom forgiving the Nazi guard at the concentration she camp. If you got time for a really quick story, I heard the story about Corey Tinboom. She had someone in her church that had spread some rumors about her, and she was really upset. She was really mad. She was bitter about that. And she's telling this testimony. So that's, she's, I was really just, I couldn't stand it. I see them walking down the hallway and I have to pop into a room, that kind of a thing. And she said, God always kept convicting her because that you forgave a guard in the Nazi concentration camp, but you can't forgive someone in your church. And Corey Timboom goes, you're right, but she couldn't do it. She said, I give it to you, Lord. And she'd still. And she said, what really happened one day, now this is where all things are possible with God. She's sitting in her little apartment and she has some friends come over and they asked, hey, whatever that situation between you and those, those people? She goes, oh, they, they lied about me. They, they, they misrepresented as something. She said, in fact, I've got proof written in a letter that what I did was right and what they did is a lie. What they're saying is a lie. And she said, just a minute, let me go get it for you. So she went into the room, she grabbed the letter, and she's walking back to the, go show it to her friends. And she said, the Holy Spirit stopped her and said, what's in your hand? She goes, my proof. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit said, I thought you forgave. She goes, well, I did. He said, not, not, as, not as long as you have this. He said there was one of those stove heaters in her room that you know he goes and it was on you know the fire was inside he goes burn it she goes but this is my one proof there's no other he said burn it and she fights <laughs> not easy nothing she opens it up she sticks it in there and, and she, but she said as it burns up the flames are going up so rise up her bitterness towards this couple and that was my one proof and she did. And the Holy Spirit said, now you're on the journey to forgiveness. With, oh, and, and, you know, there's some things easy. Chris, you bump me in the hallway. I can freak. That's nothing. But when someone really hurts you, and the thing is, the devil uses those things. It is amazing how we can forgive people outside the church a lot easier than we can forgive people inside the church. 
I should know, but it's a righteous cause that I stand for. You know, we we watched the episode of Little House of Prayer when we were stuck in the house. You know, about the bell being uh, the Olsons were donating a bell to the church because the church didn't have a bell, and Mrs. Olson wanted her name put on the bell, and a lot half the church didn't want that's that's you shouldn't put your name on that that should be you know the other half was supporting her and so the one half well if you told the minister and trust me i've experienced stuff like this as a pastor trust me you do the one if they he didn't accept the bell with their name on it that half of the church was going to leave the church if he accepted the bell with her name on it this part of the church was going to leave the church and he, he's going to leave he's going to lose one half for the other you know, you're, you know, Andrew's kind of going, wow, why would a church do that's just that that's church. That's that that's not gonna happen. I'm going, oh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does, you know. And 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 the devil is good at what he does. But and we're just beginning <laughs> the mute man in town, all the kids were upset. All the kids, this the church couldn't afford to get the bell, and so all the kids donated their metal toys and stuff to the mute guy who does, uh, like he does metal works, and he made a bell based on all what the kids donated, and they just, they did it secretly, and one day they just start ringing the bell, and Miss Olson started, and her own daughter was said, no, I want, her own daughter said, I don't want to leave the church, because who would I fight with if I leave the <laughs> Nelly, you know? And so it kind of shamed all the adults a little bit because the kids donated their stuff. And, you know, what's Mrs. Olson going to do? You know, so that's kind of, but that actually kind of the sweet ending that usually doesn't happen in church. <laughs> but once again, the devil does it. And what, you know, well, I know we're going to continue this next week. All right, Lord, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you for the faith you give us. And we thank God for the miraculous, the healing of eyes and walking of cripples and healings and, and all the things. And we don't deny that at all. And those are wonderful things. But, Lord, I thank you for the faith that you give us to do the things that we really need, forgiveness and courage to go through tough situations and and true healing of the spirit lord that's where we really need your faith because with us it is impossible but with you all things are possible we can forgive we can heal we can do things we can give up things that we think we can't those are the difficult things but we trust in you lord we thank you and we give you all the glory amen thank you for your example that helped me out quite a bit